You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Well, a warm welcome to everyone for joining us today in what I'm sure is going to be a fascinating conversation on the pressing challenge that we all face of urban violence. In my hometown of Denver, we just again had another killing in a high school just a couple of days ago. We're fortunate to have a panel today of mayors, city officials, and experts on this topic to share their experiences. For those of you new to USIP, we are a congressionally funded, bipartisan national institute dedicated to seeking solutions to violent conflict around the globe and to helping countries and regions that have fallen into conflict to stay at peace. We do this through a mix of convenings, analysis, and programs across 60 countries. In the hemisphere, we're active in Colombia, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Haiti, Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Bolivia, working with local partners to build a culture of lawfulness, resolve conflict, conflicts, and empower local peace builders. Now, a couple of administrative issues. Uh, there's two YouTube streams, one for English speakers, which provides simultaneously tr simultaneous translation into Spanish, and one for Spanish speakers, which provides simultaneous translation into English. So please be sure you're streaming this event in the language you prefer, but you have to start with the right link to begin with. Our session today will include an hour of moderated discussion during which we encourage the audience to submit their questions using the box at the bottom of your screens. During the last 30 minutes, we'll pose as many of those questions as possible to our panel. The challenge of urban peace keep peace building in Latin America is multifaceted. It involves organized and common crime, political violence, and gender-based or family violence. There's a constant need to balance enforcement and prevention, the hard side of anti-crime measures, along with the soft side of social, economic, and cultural measures that together will ensure long-term peace. It is not an either-or construct. Officials must address the socioeconomic drivers of violence by initiating long-term programs that help young people resist gang recruitment and see a future where they can contribute to rather than prey on society. But they also need to maintain a full array of security forces that are not only strong but trustworthy who respond to community needs and concerns. And they need to constantly engage, dialogue with, and empower their communities themselves, including business people, religious leaders, and civic activists to recover civic space and build a culture of legality. Now, let me pre present our panelists today. We have uh, Guillermo Cespedes, a violence prevention expert with over four decades of experience at the local, national, and international levels. He served as deputy mayor of Los Angeles, directing the Office of Gang Reduction and Youth Development, where he implemented a comprehensive strategy that significantly reduced violent gang crimes. He's also supervised U.S. programs in Honduras and helped develop gang prevention strategies in El Salvador, Mexico, and the Caribbean. Thank you, Guillermo, for being with us today. Oscar Escobar is mayor of Palmira in Colombia's Valle del Cauca, located in one of Colombia's most beautiful but also most violent drug trafficking corridors. The city of Palmira has long suffered exceptionally high rates of violent gang-related crime. Under Mayor Escobar, the city identified neighbors with the highest incidence of violent crime 
and then targeted those areas for a series of interventions from youth-oriented social programs, violence interrupters, to initiatives to ensure access to justice. Alexander Mejia is a regidor or city council member in the city of Choloma, located in the nor north of San Pedro Sula, in the Department of Cortez, Honduras, the country's third largest city and a center of foreign-owned factories. Choloma is located also in a tough neighborhood. Drugs from South America land along the northern Honduran coast and then travel overland towards the United States. The city has responded with a variety of programs, including youth outreach centers and municipal women's offices, which provide legal and social uh, psychosocial support to domestic violence victims. And Dr. Alejandro Cusi is the security commissioner of Morelia, Mexico, capital of Michoacan state. He did his doctoral work at the University of Navarra, has a long career in peace building and citizen security, including a, a high level position in Colima. Under Mayor Alfonso Martinez, Morelia has developed community police forces known as Policias de Proximidad to allow security forces to work hand in hand with local residents to combat crime. And during Mayor Martinez's first term in office, these forces were credited with helping the city to bring down homicide rates in a state long plagued by, by, by organized crime. So let me now turn the microphone over to my colleague, Mary Speck, who will begin the program. And uh, we look forward to a really engaging uh, discussion today. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Keith. Um, as Keith said, we hope to have a very frank discussion about both achievements and challenges. Um, and I want to begin by asking uh, a few opening questions to our panelists, and then we'd like to transition to a more informal conversation, allowing them to share what works and what doesn't, and how to sustain any progress made. Please keep answers fairly short, so there's plenty of time for, for Q&A during the last half hour. Um, first, I want, as I said, I want to open with a question for all of the panel members. Um, and that this is about the relations between police and the community. We know that well-trained, uh, responsible law enforcement is important for public safety. Citizens want security now, not in 10 years after we've addressed all the long-term structural inequities that drive violent crime. Now, as mayors, um, Latin American mayors, um, you're not responsible for police forces, which are generally run by the national government, but you're uniquely positioned to understand local concerns. And so my question is, what can or should local governments do to increase trust in police? What have you done? What would, what would you like to do? What works to increase um, trust in police? Although I'm, I'm going to begin, however, with Guillermo uh, Cepedes, who unlike other panelists had uh, worked with locally controlled police forces, but he's also very familiar with the problems of Latin America. So I would like to begin with him and then turn to our, our Latin American officials. Um, I'd like to begin with him to explain what works with to increase trust between communities and police forces. Thank you very much. And I think what works is we are still figuring that out day to day. Things which, and I think what works is we are still figuring that out day to day. Things work for a period of time and we we need to refresh in those, um, those interventions, if you will. The experience I've had with improving or enhancing uh, police community relationships, especially in um, gang control neighborhoods, has been to start at the micro level, which means the crime scenes, 
That means um, that the legitimacy is established while having members of the mayor's office, the police department, and violence interrupters respond to all incidents of shootings with serious injuries and homicides so that the work starts to be blended at the very local crime scene level. And the legitimacy is built from that rather than starting from a macro policy level and trying to get down to the neighborhood level. So the very specific strategy is responding 24 seven to incidents of shootings with serious injuries and homicides, which is extremely labor intensive uh, by the mayor's office, the police department and violence interrupters with three goals, reduce retaliation, reduce levels of trauma to family members and improve the relationship between city government and marginalized neighborhoods. Uh, in the case of the United States, it is the entire city government apparatus that needs to establish its legitimacy with marginalized communities. It's not just the police. So that's what we found effective in LA. That's what we're doing in Oakland now. It is being done in Chicago. It's being done in Baltimore. And you know, I will talk about the challenges of that in Central America afterwards. But okay. that's Thank you. We'll come back to you then for the challenge, what your view of challenges. But first, I'd like to to, to turn to um, Mayor Escobar. Um, again, you in Colombia, you have national police forces, uh, but still as mayor, I believe you tried to work, especially with youth, to increase trust in security institutions, not just police. Um, and I wondered what you found to be most successful, how you did it, and and what the major challenges are. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, really glad to be here to share and to learn from other cities in the world. I think as majors, you have you have to be in a very uh, narrow line in between being the face of authority in the city, but also being close to the citizens, being open, being able to show your face to the to the people who voted for you and be accountable for what's happening with the city's funds, but also with the uh, security management and what the police is doing and is not doing. Uh, in Colombia, we have had, uh, in, in 2021, we had probably the biggest national strike we have had in recent history. And in our region, in Valle del Cauca region, and in my city, it was, you cannot imagine how hard it was. This was a situation in which we had road blockades more than 20. We couldn't even pick our trash. Uh, we ran out of, of food. We ran out of gas. It was a very difficult situation. And at first, of course, the response was authority, right? This vandalism was uh, behind with the generals and behind the cameras, and, and you cannot do this. But then quickly, you had to understand what people was upset, even though it was national issues. Uh, and you have to give the face to, to the population and, and you have to listen to them. And so that implied a change in, in the action that we were taking in that moment. And it implied even participating in public rallies to ask the national government for some changes that people was asking. And of course, that was at first... Uh, Maybe police didn't like that at first, but it was the way in which we prevented more violence in Palmyra. 
because we were having uh, clashes in between the police and the and the protesters every day, and every day the clashes were harder, and so this violence was only escalating. So as a major, I had to go out with a white flag and say, okay, I'm the authority, but let's not, let's please not kill ourselves, right? Let's talk this, this, uh, and let's dialogue with this difference that we have. Uh, and I think that creates trust because if you're only with the generals and behind the CCTV cameras and all that, you're far away from the people and you're not hearing what can be happening if there's cases of uh, police abuse, if there is corruption in the in the most uh, affected neighborhoods. So you have to be there. Other strategies that we have used, not in, not in that special moment of the strike, is do security councils in the neighborhoods. So some police doesn't really like that either because they say uh, that there is a security information that it's only only the major is supposed to have. But you, you tell them, OK, give me that information in private and then we're going to have an open forum with the people from the neighborhood and we're going to listen to their complaints in terms of which are the most uh, uh, issues that are affecting them. And many of them don't even have to do anything with police. Many of them are the trash that is not being picked up and it's making that a coroner is, is, is you know, having that broken window theory, or maybe that there's not enough lighting in the park and that is bringing uh, thieves to the park. So I think that uh, dialogue with the community in the neighborhoods is very important to create trust in institution, which is in Colombia and all over the world, I think it's in its lowest levels. Thank you. Um, Commissioner, what is the situation in um, Morelia? Uh, how have you worked? I know Morelia has been considered um, as a model for policías de proximidad. Uh, what is the formula in, in Morelia for increasing trust in police? Because in Mexico, as in other countries, including in the United States, there is often a very deep distrust of the police. Thank you very much. It's quite a pleasure to be here sharing with you on behalf of the mayor, Alfonso Martinez. And when it comes to legitimacy, I think that that really is the basis for police reform. Today, the police are subject to scrutiny. This is a topic that is being debated around the world. So we decided to try to bet on trust as the basic foundation for this relationship between the authorities and the people. We've tried to place ourselves in the shoes of the people. That is to say, we have this institution that has created a lot of distrust in Latin America and in the U.S., for example, with the case of George Floyd. So how can we try to come to an agreement? We found two ways to do it. First, we have to redefine what the mission of the police is. What can the police in Morelia offer citizens? And this may seem a bit different for the police, but I'll give you an example here. Today, 
The police in Morelia address 50% of emergencies, medical emergencies. So this may be done because of the lack of infrastructure or medical support in the city, but the police are able to address these situations as well. And that allows us to truly address citizens' concerns. For example, addressing these medical emergencies through uniformed policemen that are also doctors or paramedics. We've also started to address the cases of lost children. This is very practical. So we've been able to address this through service to the people. That's given us greater legitimacy and greater trust. So the police in Morelia is very new. It's very recent. And according to the rates in the country, citizens in Morelia trust more in their police today than when it was created. We've been under going very complex processes, and we've addressed other topics as well, such as where does the authority come into play? This is something that we clearly see in Latin America, for example, where there is no legality, there is no state of law. So we've been able to create this minimum legality. We've needed the authority to serve as a model in order for everyone to comply with the law. So we've been able to gain a lot of legitimacy and trust in that regard. I'd also like to share briefly that there are a few other elements that we've been working on in a practical manner. We were in Colombia and we learned a lot of good practices from there as well. We were able to start a very successful program for mediators. These mediators are very young people who are trained and before starting their careers as policemen or policewomen, they work in the communities. So they address issues that are not related directly to the police force, but impact security, such as utilities, maybe lights that are not working or parks that haven't been cared for. And there's a lot of vegetation. This allows us to have greater dialogue. It doesn't impact the police force, but it allows us to focus on these issues that may be related to the authorities by addressing these public services. Today, the police is a victim of a policy that has left many people unsatisfied. So we've been addressing these issues that concern citizens. And as serving as an example, we're able to provide citizens with greater service. Thank you. It's interesting. We've got three. We um, Guillermo began by saying that it begins at the crime scene. <laughs> it begins with solving the crimes, 24-7 um, being there for police. Um, uh, Mayor Escobar talked about the situation of, an, of, a nas of national demonstrations that had created tremendous distrust. And interestingly, um, uh, the Commissioner of Security in Morelia spoke about doing things which really we wouldn't consider necessarily the police primary duty, but addressing health emergencies and and helping people with um, with with, um, you know, overgrown vegetation and bringing back public spaces. I wonder, Guillermo, if you could con comment on these three different aspects. And since our, our our invitee from Honduras has not yet arrived, how do you address all those different functions of the police in countries which uh, 
have just as many problems as Colombia and Mexico, but have even fewer resources. A country like Honduras, which is beset by organized crime and even poorer than than um, than most of the countries in Latin America. Well, first of all, I think all three approaches are very valid and they need to be implemented as part of a comprehensive strategy, number one. So I think I spoke about a starting point which doesn't exclude these other elements. Um, I think right now we are across the world reimagining public safety. And um, that includes figuring out how to both, what I call putting out the fire, the immediate response to homicides and shootings, and fireproofing. Mm. I think we've reached the point where we have to address both. Um, I am not law enforcement. I, my area of specialty is social programs. But I do think that in the United States and probably abroad, we've come to the point where we really do know that this is not a problem that we're going to be able to arrest exclusively our way out of it or prevent our way out of it. Mm -hmm. So the challenge that we're facing is how do we blend these three things that are being implemented? From my point of view, I started with the micro implementation for one reason. One for several reasons. One is that that empowers the mayor to be able to respond to citizens immediately. The political pressure on mayors is that body bag on the ground. Mm -hmm. Citizens really are not concerned with longer term prevention. My field of prevention historically has focused primarily on long term solutions um, and less on solutions that are looking to impact that particular homicide. So the mayor from Morelia spoke about mediators. Um, in in Colombia, they're, they're starting to use um, violence interrupters. This sort of social, uh, civil society interventions that help to address crime, um, pretty innovative. We need to improve it, but we, I think it's part of the solution. So to answer your question, I think all three responses are very valid. I think we have to do all of it. Uh, the big challenge is to make sure that, in my opinion, they were not setting up the police for failure by putting things on their plate that they cannot actually resolve. I don't believe in the case of the United States, uh, the police is trained to deal with family trauma, for example. Therefore, we should be very careful that in expanding public safety, um, we're clear of the lanes of operation. So I'd like to you know, just sort of end my comment with this. Across the United States and probably the world, we've started to reimagine public safety. Defunding or funding has gotten ahead of the reimagining. But I think we're in a great place to, to continue to reimagine what is the role of the police, what is the role of uh, social prevention, and how do we blend those two things to both address putting out fires, fireproofing. Thank you. Um, Mayor Escobar, I think you had a comment. Yes, thank you very much. A, a little comment. Um, because I do believe that one of the issues is that police has is responsible for a lot of things. So again, and then and there's so many, so many of those things that we can solve on a community basis. For example, the neighbor 
who puts music loud until 5 a.m. in the morning. And then all the people is calling, hey, please, the drunk one in the, in the corner, go and, and turn the volume down. And so that takes also a lot of op operative burden on the police to go to the neighborhood, tell the drunk guy to turn the music down. The police leaves and then all over again, the problem starts. So in, in the sense that we have a comprehensive peace strategy that's called Pasos in Palmira, and that we have community med mediators who try to solve those issues without using the police that helps a lot in terms of letting the police do their job that is actually to chase uh you know criminals instead of uh, solving coexisting issues and and it, and it and it stops undermining their legitimacy uh because you know being the the, the party pooper for something it's, it's not their job yeah that's thank you for that i we've had lots of incidents like that in oakland of actual violence emerging, not just from music, but disagreements about what type of music was being played. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that sounds a little bit humorous, but in, you know, in, in a very diverse community, um, the type of music that is played is representative of a particular group. So that's escalated conflict. So great point. I fully agree with you that we need to, um, issues between neighbors can be handled at a community level. Okay, thank you. I wanted to now turn to the issue of youth. Um, young people are both um, in Latin America, but I, where, where you have the, the famous youth bulge, young people are both the beneficiaries and the victims of very rapid urban growth. On the one hand, uh, young Latin Americans are better educated than previous generations. And on the other hand, they also face lower levels of formal employment and lower wages. And they're more, much more vulnerable to violence, much more vulnerable being both the perpetrators and the victims of violence. And I wanted to talk with, start with you again, uh, Mayor Escobar, um, to talk in a little bit more detail about Palmira's Peace and Opportunities Program, or PASOS. Um, uh, it, you, it's you, you've used innovative youth programs to bring down um, homicide rates, um, and you've described this program as being both targeted and comprehensive. So I wanted you to explain better how you target um, your efforts and how and in what way is it comprehensive? You can't do everything uh, and you can't be everywhere. So how have you targeted and but how have you also addressed this whole range of problems that young people face? Can you hear me? I'm sorry, are you asking me? Yes, that was for you, Mayor Escobar. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, I just lost connection for. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I was asking you about puzzles uh, and and how it's targeted and comprehensive, and what's been the secret of success for your program, puzzles. Yes. Well, the the thing is, you have to look at the at the numbers, uh, the diagnosis of violence in the city. Our city, Palmira, Valle del Cauca, Colombia has been ranked in the 50 most violent cities in the world in terms of homicides per 100,000 inhabitants. Of course, there's a lot of other municipalities with more homicides than Palmira, but they're really small municipalities. My city is 350,000 inhabitants. So we are in that ranking. Uh, we have been able to get out of that ranking once in 2020. And last year we were in the 48th position. 
And one of the goals of our passive program and of our development plan is to get out of that. But so, so you say, okay, we have a big issue with homicide in the last two days. Where is that happening? Okay, in some neighborhoods. Uh, 10% of the neighborhoods of the city are accounting for more than 50% of homicide. So we got to work in those neighborhoods. And who is getting killed? Mostly young men, very young men, actually. More than 50% of homicides are in very young men. So those were the two uh, uh, yeah, uh, focuses of the program of passes uh, that, that have tried to bring a lot of different interventions in, in those neighborhoods. Since having coexisting managers, as I said, the, the one that is, is going to face that uh, difference between the music and the, how loud is the music or what kind of music, but also the ones that are going to create trust with community. Because as a major, I have authority, but that doesn't mean I have legitimacy in the neighborhoods. So those, those community uh, leaders are helping us to create trust with people in order to bring them closer to what we would say is the public offer of education, sports, of all the social offers that can prevent young people from getting into the violent activity. However, there are many of them who already are in the gang activity, drug activity, and getting out is very difficult because, of course, that is leaving them a lot of cash. And it's also because it is the, their, their success reference in the neighborhood. You know, the most successful kid in the neighborhood are all those that are leading the gang. So we have to provide them with an, a path that takes them out of that world but then it's a path that, of course, brings, uh, for example, job training. But but first, you have to give you have to give them psychosocial support because many of them have seen their their brothers uh, die in, in that same violent activity. Many of them have their mom uh, with a serious sickness, sickness with bad uh, health policy. Uh, many. 20 old, many of them are already married and they have three kids and they have to provide for these kids. So one of the key for success of our, of our strategy has been being able to pay them. Uh, last year, we were paying half a minimum wage to 226 young people in Palmira in those neighborhoods in order to, to uh, condition to, the, to their attendance in, in the program. That program was evaluated by, by Universidad Javeriana with the funds of Open Society Foundations, and they found that it's having a very important results in terms of even uh, lowering the consumption of, consumption of drugs in those kids, but also motivating them to participate in the labor market in which they they didn't participate because they, they have been discriminated so long that they just don't trust the system. But most importantly, they did a econometric analysis comparing Palmira with other comparable cities in the country. And they found that four out of, out of 25 less homicides that we have in that uh, time were directly attributed to the program. So we believe that, uh, of course, we need to work with the police. And of course, we need to capture and, and have a strong hand in terms of making justice count in the city. But you, you cannot enter in a Bukele-like war with gang or all-out war in which you pretend to put everybody in jail. 
because that is only going to create more resentment and, and more problems in the future. What we believe is that we have to do the, the justice to capture, and uh, but you have also to provide them a way out, uh, a path out of that world. Many of them, of course, are not going to succeed. Many of them probably are going to come back into that world. But even if there are few that the ones that change, they set an example for all of them that it is possible to do it. And actually, uh, in, the, the, in the program we had last year, uh, the, the search was very low. Uh, and so it, it, it's much more profitable than take them into jail. Having a kid in jail is way more expensive and you only are putting them in, in a university for crime. When you bring them in other programs, it can be less expensive and you have a higher success rate like we have had in past. Uh, thank you, Mayor Escobar. Uh, Commissioner Gonzalez, does any of this sound familiar to you in Morelia? I know the Policia de Proximidad works with the whole community, but I imagine that working with youth is particularly important. Uh, how have you been able to work with the youth of, of Morelia, who I imagine um, are also primarily the vi both the victims and the perpetrators of many crimes in the cities? What has been your experience in that regard? Yes, of course. In Morelia, what we have done is that we have bet on young people. What we try to do is to understand how we can avoid for young people to do the same crimes, commit the same crimes, those small misdemeanors that are not um, felonies, but we want to avoid that. So through, through three axes, we have been working with the community police. This is what was mentioned earlier. And in fact, this is a, a community policing that allows the mayor to make decisions, allows the mayor to have the political decisions become practice on the one hand. And then you also have a policing, police officers that are nearby. And as we said at the beginning, they're there to make sure that they're there in, in, when we have these situations that worry our citizens, then we want to intervene when people who are victims are uh, receive the uh, help, they receive the help that they need from the police, the psychological assistance, the legal assistance, so that they can go on and they can generate these mechanisms of prevention. Another element, which is the most important one is the civil justice. What we've done is generate a small justice system, which is a mix, a mix of the municipal courts in Mexico and the Midtown Court in New York. So we're now in a system called restorative justice in very small crimes like misdemeanor, misdemeanors. And this has to do with graffiti, consuming uh, drugs in on the street or drinking in the streets. And this has allowed us to have them understand that there are consequences.
Security has to do with a component that has to do with culture. It's related to culture. In the case of Mexico, it's clear how if you cross the border and you come to the United States, all of the Mexicans behave like exemplary citizens in the United States. And we wonder, why doesn't this happen in Mexico as well? Because we have many incentives for the law to be violated without there being any consequences. So the small justice system in small cities starts to show what the consequences are of actions of those offenders that start with very minor things. They go by through a red light, they go the wrong way, they drink in public, and this starts to generate the consequences. They have to be made aware of the consequences and sanctions. They're, all, they're not always negative. It not always has to do with a punishment, with an arrest. What we're trying to do is to make sure that there is a cultural change. We've been working with the U.S. government through U.S. aid with the seven in seven years. And through these courts, we have developed a process. We have what we call service portfolios. We have service measures. We have the re-educational measures. So someone who is drunk driving, instead of being arrested, what happens is that that person has to go to therapy to control his or her addiction. And that person is supervised by the police so that they change their behavior. This way, what we're doing is that we're betting on prevention. What do I do? What do I mean by this today? Morelia, like many other towns in Latin America, have a family violence. This is the violence that happens within families, and this is caused by the use of drugs. And what we've tried to do is that if we don't resolve the underlying problems, if we don't give them the capabilities, we will have even bigger problems in the future. We're working with young people. We're trying to bet on working on addiction instead of punishing people. What we do is that we provide them treatment. This is a treatment which is paid by the administration so that they can resolve that problem. If they have anger management uh, issues, then they take we, we send them to treatment. The message is very clear. There are consequences. Legality is an important factor. And at the same time, these people receive the tools whereby offenders don't repeat their offense, their behavior behavior. So this is a cultural change, and this is a very disruptive topic. It requires work. It requires understanding from the diagnostic. So in Morelia, what we're trying to do today on these three axes is to create the national model of police. And we see a 70% reduction of street crime, and it has allowed us to see that even social conflict has gone down during the pandemic. We had a very big increase in this. This is what we're doing through the system. It's a legal system and at, at the local level that allows us to do preventive work from the causes, from the root causes. Uh Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, and now, um, Guillermo, I wonder if you could comment on what you've just heard and what you have done in that what in the United States and also since our our invitee from Honduras has not yet been able to join us, what, whether these things can and have been applied in in Central America, well, I, justice and other um, 
um, method um, method here. Yeah, I, I would like to raise or lift up some of the comments that were made by the mayor of Palmeira because I think that is one of the standards that I think cuts across all countries, which is an accurate problem analysis of mm -hmm. who's committing crime, what age are they, where are the zones that crimes are being committed, and even more important, as important, a cost-benefit analysis. If I understand the data correctly, four of the 24 homicides were attributed to a program. So if we do a, 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 a cost-benefit analysis, it may be that program is already saving the city much more money than if it was not present. So mm -hmm. that type of hardcore analysis, critically important because we do run the risk of over-criminalizing youth, as it has happened in the United States. Not all of the youth in all of the communities, even the most marginalized communities, are actually involved in violence. So we need a thermometer, if you will, to determine which of the youth are at the highest level of risk so that we're not intervening the same way with everyone. Um, those things um, have been translated to Central America through USAID programs. Um, the sustainability of them, um, it's, it's a little bit challenging. And then the last comment that I wanna make that also brings in what um, was being done in Morelia as well is this emphasis on uh, historically, my profession has addressed youth violence almost as if youth were independent entities from their families. I think in the last few years, USAID has invested heavily in these evidence-based family approaches to complement how we reduce the behavior associated with gangs. And I say the behavior rather than the identity because if we follow the example of the United States, we in the United States made the problem of gang, youth gangs worse by focusing on identity rather than behavior. And that's a very, very important distinction. So um, love the work that is being done in Palmira, love the conversation. This is very different than a conversation that we were having even five years ago. Some of it has to do with metrics and some of it has to do with really getting down to levels of prevention. Violence prevention and intervention is not the same across the board for every community and every youth. Um, I'll end with this. In the United States, the cities that I'm working in currently, the problem is not the violence of youth. In the case of Oakland for particular, Uh, the average age of a homicide victim and a perpetrator over the last five years has actually been 24 to 35. So the problem analysis is critically important. The intervention to meet the right levels of risk critically important. And emphasis, more emphasis on family support and intervention to supplement the work that is being done with youth. These are things that are happening through USAID programs. They're a little bit more advanced in the US, um, but I think we're on the right track with them. Uh, thank you. I think we now have um, uh, Alexander uh, Mejia Regidor from, do you hear me? Our, our invited guest, the, the city councilman for um, Choloma. Hey. It's trying to to join. 
Sí, claro. Eh, eh, solo estoy tratando de acomodar. Yes, of course, I'm trying to fix this. I, I'm having issues with the light. Let me see if I can fix things. And I would like to apologize. Mary, I think I'd go on with another question. And okay, come back well, I wonder if, um, if we could talk a little bit about, because this was mentioned, alternative forms of justice was mentioned by uh, the commissioner. And I, I believe that PASOS has also uh, worked with access to justice issues in Palmira. Um, is, that, um, is that an area that is promising? Have you worked in that area? Um, uh, what about access to justice and alternative forms of justice um, as another solution, a way to reach out to, to youth? Uh, Mayor Escobar. Thank you. Yes, uh, of course, a major, I mean, the justice system is another branch of government, uh, many times overlooked, uh, underfunded, uh, in which trust of the citizen, of the average citizen, uh, doesn't come because it takes so long, you know, to have a process in the justice system in Colombia. And so many times uh, justice is not done. I mean, from every homicide, every 10 homicides that we have, uh, three, three and a half are solved. The other seven, you never, you know, you never know. So in a country where, where those are the ash metrics, justice is not the main um issue in which people trust to solve their problems. However, again, trying to stop the issues from escalating and to involving uh, police, for example, what we do is try to make uh, arrangements in between people, in between communities. For example, I was just, uh, my assistant was chatting. I am in the capital right now. I was in the national government event. I have, I have a flight home in two hours. And she was saying, that she was telling me, reminded me that on Saturday, we have a match, a soccer match in between the two biggest teams in the region, America and Cali, are the two red and, 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 and green. And of course, we have an agreement with some of the fans, uh, organizations, I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't remember how to say that. Uh, and, and then we are signing a, a document, a big document that, that says we are going to leave this uh, classic soccer match in peace. We are, we, I mean, we are committing to a peaceful Saturday. We are not going to let soccer to create uh, that type of, of violence and homicide or, 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 or any violent attempt. And this is very important. Only the fact that they are willing to sign the same paper because so many times an offense such as a, a green wall that is painted for, from Cali's team and somebody comes with a graffiti and, and a red graffiti on top of that is, is a death offense in between soccer fans. So, so, so that is something that is not going to go to the justice system. That is something that if not addressed, can create violence and even homicide. And so that is where we as, as major office and, and passes as a strategy and the community manager steps in and says, hey, let's uh, undo this offense. Let's do something that, uh, that tells the other team that we're sorry, that we are not okay with that, and that we're going to respect 
each other's team. And only that, that is justice. I mean, that is alternative justice for us in terms of a soccer match. And we do that. And there's a lot of cases in which we can do that. Um, I, I think our friend Alexander Mejia is still trying to get online. Um, I wonder, though, if, if Guillermo, could you talk about some of your work in Honduras and whether these um, these programs are possible in countries um, such as Honduras, which has so few resources? And then maybe we can switch to Alexander to comment further. Well, I think components of the programs, programs are... Um, it's it's absolutely possible to implement them. What I think is a little bit more challenging in Central America is getting funding for a comprehensive strategy. There is not one program that I know of that by itself can reduce or prevent violence. Prevention programs need to be part of a larger comprehensive strategy. The, the challenge that we're having in Central America is most of the funding is directed to a specific program. Mm -hmm not a comprehensive strategy. So in the case of Honduras, um, the five years that I was there, four years that I was there, we were implementing a very specific family approach to be done with youth at the highest risk of gang joining that were identified through a very specific metrics. And the families um, were, they were provided an intervention for a period of six months. And this was done in San Pedro Sula, La Ceiba, and Tegucigalpa. Mm -hmm. So the program was is successful, was successful in accomplishing the goals of that particular program. What we were having challenge with were two things. One, how do we fund the comprehensive strategy? And two, the perception that our expectations, the programs will be sustained by volunteers, which is not the case in the United States. So the issue of sustainability, we need to reframe what that means. Uh, there is no social program in the United States that's effective, especially if they're evidence-driven, they can be sustained without funding. Right. One consideration is to really focus more on longer-term funding that has metrics attached to it, so the programs actually have that require time to be proven to be effective. It takes at least three years of evaluation to really arrive at an evidence-based program. Uh, so one thing, let's move away from, let's consider that funding an individual program is part of a solution, but not the total solution. And two, that we need to focus a little bit more on longer-term funding. Uh, so that those can become sustainable. Um, so yes, I do think they're possible. I think the work in Honduras and El Salvador that I've been involved with has been pretty cross-cutting. In fact, some of the work that was implemented in Honduras and El Salvador is now coming back to LA so that LA can learn from those lessons. So um, yes, they are effective. The issue of sustainability, we need to revisit. Okay, thank you. Alexander, um, uh, Senor Mejia, can you hear me? Um, eh, la oportunidad de tenerlo acá en Choloma como un modelo. Eh, the opportunity of having this in Choloma as a model of what 
of the work he did in Los Angeles. So we had the experience with him in our municipality. This was very useful. This was useful at the time to implement programs and processes that guaranteed the exchange of activities and at the very least to understand how them, through their methodologies and processes, were able to control social problems at the time. And in Honduras, in Choloma, it's truly a pleasure to say hello to all of you. We're here. We've, we've been here since 2010. We have worked as uh, the mayors in our municipality, as administrators as well. We have participated in a number of programs. We had a thematic uh, panel to talk about the problems that our municipality was experiencing in terms of crime and the presence of the maras, of the gangs, so that USAID, USAID was able to provide teamwork so that we could identify those areas, those neighborhoods, which at the time had been taken over by these social issues. In the end, I think that we were indeed able to cut the spaces of certain communities so that they could become green areas, social equipment areas, and how to empower the communities through projects that use the CESPER methodology, as well as a project that provided a design, an overall design, where we could socialize in communities, in vulnerable groups, and we would start with the children. We wanted children in their community who wanted to see change in their community. Then we spoke to younger people, to young uh, adults, and then the parents. This is what we did in order to control these communities. In this case, 19 neighborhoods required our intervention silently. We did this in a structured manner and were able to reach them. Now we see the inauguration of projects. For instance, today we were there. This is called the Japón, the neighborhood Japón. We worked with the Japanese government and, of course, the town administration was able to provide some of the funds in order to bring this community back from all its problems. We were telling an anecdote when we started to create socialization with this project. The first thing they do was to um, go and, and make holes in our tires. So now it's a model neighborhood at the national level that allows citizens to have a park, to have a model school, to have fields, sports fields, with their streets paved, with their recreational areas, with lighting. And this is how we've been able to work within these communities, this large group of communities. With the control of many problems that that community was facing at the time. However, empowerment, empowerment 
by the municipal government and the intervention of different parties provided a number of projects where we saw measures for education for young people, for minors, for children, as well as being able to learn to live with their fellow citizens. And we were doing this through the outreach centers. These outreach centers were created in spaces that the community had provided, but we used to have uh, rape, we had aggressions, and there were parties in the community. People would die, people would quarrel, people would fight, they would kill each other. And so during one of these sessions, uh, we call these motions, we presented, we introduced a motion. We wanted to, we did this in these community centers, and this became outreach centers where there would be a space for all this. We had a an area for music, for play, for uh, school activities, a cooking school, an office to train young people so that they could become bakers or jewelry makers or dessert makers. So this was all within the community. It was a multiplying factor because the volunteer youngsters became a volunteer group within the center to help young people. At the same time, we also tried to provide spaces to for gym, for girls, would learn to become jewelry makers, would learn how to cut hair, all of those things, all that array of activities that were concentrated in that space that was at the disposal of the community. So we have 12 outreach centers that are able to reach these young people instead of being on a corner on the street, doing things that they're not supposed to be doing, smoking pot or things, other things like uh, kidnapping or, or aggressing other people. So this is what we've done. And um, these are the outreach centers that have become such an important part of our program. This is not all. The most important thing is that the community can benefit based on the volunteers that that community provides. So now we have uh, communities that have had um, electricity installed, their, their streets have been paid, their gutter systems have been pay, pay, uh, have been reconditioned, they have uh, sports fields, there are places for children after school, after, with after school activities. What is truly important is that the 
other side of the community, the counterpart, the municipality, the community, and especially the person that provides that service. We come together providing our each of us providing their support. We provided certain materials. The community provides the volunteers. And above all, we have the direct participation of boys and girls within the communities building those projects. Thank you, Alexander. Yes, I, I visited the Centros de Alcance. They're they're low cost, but they're 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 safe spaces for for young people, and I think in that sense, they're very effective. Um, uh, I think I'll turn it now to, to Keith, who may have some final wrap-up questions, and then we'll go to our, our audience Q&A. I have the translation in Spanish. I've been trying to listen to the introduction. Sorry. Uh, I think if you go down, there should be a, a circle at the bottom of your screen where you can choose the language. Uh, Keith, do you want to go? Good, ahead? thanks. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just, if he doesn't get in, I'll just do it in both languages. But my, my first question was, you. a lot of you have hit on the question of dialogue between justice and security providers and the citizens. But I just wanted to see if we could um, go back to that again, um, just very specifically on that question. The different methods that you've used to have a formalized dialogue where citizens know that they have a space to consistently dialogue with their security and justice providers. What, what's the best way to do that um, what what has worked, what hasn't worked. I'd like to hear that from everybody. Maybe we could start with um, Alejandro Cusi and then Esco, Oscar and then Guillermo and then Alexander. If he didn't catch that, I'll, I'll repeat it in Spanish for him. Alexander, is that in Espanol or in English? Let me circle back around. Let's go through through that then. Alejandro, Oscar, and then Guillermo. It seems to me that in terms of the young people and approaching our citizens, this is the most important topic. Justice is very important. This was a reference that I mentioned in the sense that in the Mexican case, it's quite clear. We see that the circumstances require respecting the law, abiding by the law. This is why we generated a small municipal system that doesn't depend on the power, the judiciary power. It's the executive that manages that system. In fact, in order to legitimize it and make it known, we want to we want our citizens to be aware of this. In Mexico, we have a very uh, serious problem, justice, justice dealing, justice in, the, in Mexico. It's very slow, and it doesn't resolve all of the problems, the basis of these problems. So there is a historic institutional aspect in our country in which citizens don't have the most basic knowledge of everyday, of, of re everyday living 
living, excessive no noise, um, violence, and so on. So what we're trying to do is that through the system of justice, our local system of justice, the citizens have to have a quick response. This is why these hearings that are presided over by a municipal judge is to provide citizens the way to solve problems without formality, speaking like other citizens, speaking like other people clearly, so that the person understands why they are being before a judge that is explaining how he committed a small misdemeanor. So we're also training our citizens and we're showing them the importance of respecting rules, the repercussion of having broken the social order. This is the most important topic. And we have used certain mechanisms that have to do with restorative measures. In circumstances that allow the community to solve through facilitators the problems that those communities have to reach an agreement. So in a place where it's difficult to apply law, we try to look for mechanisms. For example, in Morelia, the police carry out mediations on the streets. So they're constantly trying to resolve issues and conflicts within the neighborhoods, among the people on the streets. The police prevents those issues from escalating and they resolve them. But the interesting thing here is the legitimacy that the police gains. They're able to acquire that position as an authority in the community, and then citizens go to them to resolve their issues. So we have been trying to show people that they can access justice, even in basic manners, and that different things do happen here. So, for example, we start from the premise that insecurity is caused by a lack of consequences, because in Mexico, there are no consequences or things don't happen as a result. So we try to generate this incentive so that the consequence will be much more costly. We need to react and we need to dialogue with citizens. We need to educate them in such a manner that they can see why this is the situation. So from the legal point of view, we need to provide these guarantees to the citizens so that they can be heard. All of the arrests that are made by the police need to appear before a judge so that they can see if this is a legal issue, if it was a forced arrest, we have the body cams on the police uniform. And additionally, we have this process done in court. So this allows greater supervision when it comes to the police. It's called the strategy crystal box. And this goes back to the start. What we want is legitimacy and trust for the authorities. We want citizens to be heard. This is an exercise that's cathartic. And then we have the authority granted to the police. Thank you very much. Oscar, the same question about dialogue. Is there a, like I dialogue with my town home, uh, my neighborhood uh, every month, but I must say I never dialogue with my police. Uh, is there, what is the method that citizens should have to dialogue with the police? Well, um, we 
we believe, uh, again, the justice system, as the major was saying, has a lot of uh, things to, to, to improve. But also in the administrative task, uh, there is a lot of things in which we also have to improve to show solutions to people. Pasos, which is our strategy, it's, it's short-term Spanish for paz y oportunidades, peace and opportunity. So again, police is important for the strategy, but it's only one actor in between 15 actors accounting for different city offices, but also accounting for social organizations that help us bring opportunity to these neighborhoods. So uh, again, when there is a abuse of police, people ca can go, and of course, I think all police officers officers should have a, a complaint uh, office. But if you have been abused by police, how are you going to go to the same institution you feel abused to complain? That's, it's not going to happen, right? So you have to create other channels in which Alcaldía, in which uh, we have a, a figure in Colombia, which is called Personero, and it's sort of a guarantee of human rights in the city. It has an independent branch also from Alcaldía. So there's uh, different channels in which we uh, receive complaints against police, and that helps us make decisions also in terms when you need to rotate police from one neighborhood to the other, uh, when somebody's feeling tased uh, or individualized by a police member or where, or where we have corruption evidence of police. But the dialogue that we passes provide with people, with communities, are more is, is more uh, focused on what we can do as, as Alcaldía, not what police can do. And again, that brings solutions. I always tell uh, my secretaries that, for example, the president of the of the Junta de Acción Comunal, which is like the community board of El Barrio, of a neighborhood called La Emilia, I say that is one of the targeted neighborhoods because it's a neighborhood uh, with low income and with a long history of crime. I want that community leader to feel more important than the rest because he has more problems and he has to be able to reach us faster. And we have to be able to provide good and services for La Emilia neighborhood in a more effective and more coordinated way. So that is the way in which we bring to use that dialogue to make uh, people in these neighborhoods understand that they, that they have rights and that they can have access to different programs in their neighborhood and that they are very important for Alcaldía because they're participating in this strategy. Great, thanks a lot. Guillermo? Well, I, for me, dialogue really has to do a little bit with who, who we're dialoguing with. I think that there are dialogue mechanisms like commissions, uh, neighborhood um, empowerment groups, et cetera, that really provide an opportunity to dialogue with adults. I think some of the issues that we're having with youth requires a different kind of dialogue. So one example, and this is only one example, I don't want to present it as a panacea or something that LA did. It has been doing actually since 2008. Uh, is this approach of this community engagement approach that takes place uh, July 4th through Labor Day weekend, 7 p.m. to midnight, Wednesday through Saturday, which is 
the time that violence spikes throughout the city. This is done in the most violent neighborhoods and it includes everybody, youth, senior citizens, families, adults, the police, former gang members, uh, community leaders. It is built around activities, but the, the, the goal is to create dialogue by doing things together rather than having a meeting at a local church where um, we use just words. So activity-driven dialogue, I'm a big proponent of that. And it should be, um, should have all of the elements of community that are part of problem solving in community safety. So not just elected officials and the police, not just um, accepted stakeholders, but everyone. Um, so Los Angeles has been very effective at using this. The city of Oakland has been very effective at using this. And it is a model that can be duplicated in other, in other cities to improve that dialogue, to enhance that dialogue through activities that take place at a particular time of the year when violence is known to spike. Terrific, thanks a lot. Alexander Mejia, ¿está escuchando en inglés o en español? Está en mute. Ahora sí. Sí, here we go. O sea, eh, 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 yes. o sea, well, some of the things I'm able to understand and others not because I'm listening in English and I honestly don't know English that well. No, no, but I've been able to pick up on a few things. Está bien, mire, Alexander, la pregunta es, es sencillo. La cuestión de okay, diálogo. Entre ciudadanos y la policía y, y los proveedores de justicia. ¿Cómo es el mecanismo mejor para facilitar el diálogo entre ciudadanos de seguridad? Oh, I think we did we lose him? Perdón, perdón, perdón que se me Apologies, sorry. My uh, signal was unstable. Well, I was saying that basically in our country one of the greatest issues is, well, it's the way that the population Yeah, I think we lost them again. Yeah, I'm afraid we... Well... Mary, you want to ask? I've got another yeah. question. All right, let me go. Okay. Look, I have one other quick question for all three of you again. Uh, it was just a question of resource allocation. So... Resources are always limited. They're always going to be um, insufficient. So how, and, and you've talked about a lot of very creative, interesting programs. I guess the question is, bureaucratically, uh, politically, how does one best allocate resources? How do you sell the programs that you know are going to be effective 
but that may not be the most politically popular, may not be the things that that win over pop, uh, politicians or even sometimes citizens, but you know are going to be more effective. How do you work that question of, uh, of resources? Maybe we could start with Oscar and then Alejandro and then Guillermo. Uh, and I'd just like to add one thing. I think, Oscar, you have you talked about resources earlier, and I mm -hmm. think you've argued that Passos has actually saved resources in the end, that it was very cost-effective. So if you could explain a little more about that. Well, of course, that is the main uh, issue. Money is, you're always lacking money to do all what you want to do, all that you promised in campaign. Uh, it's crazy. But, uh, of course, um, you have to... Uh, understand what moves the needle, as you will say, you know, what creates more value in the city. And, and it's sort of like acupuncture. You, know? you have to put the money where the most impact is being done. And of course, there's a, there, there has to be a political will to do it because I think Guillermo has been very clear. This is not popular. People love you, love that you are chasing criminals and, and bring them, you know, and bring them to justice. And they believe that is the end solution to crime. And so, of course, we have to do that. We do that in Palmira, but we have to open channels in which we take, uh, I'm going to say something that is tough, uh, soldiers away from these criminal uh, gangs. Uh, funding it for us, at, we have, our, our strategy has five, different components. So we started with the one that we call interruption of violence, which is the one that we have talked about with our community leaders and mediating conflict, because that was the cheapest for us to, to start in 2020. And so we started hire, hiring these community leaders that really had experience in legitimacy in territory for them to intervene conflict and help us win trust with the communities. Because that's something also Alexander said earlier. When the first time you go, they they they'll they'll, they'll break your tires because they, they they just don't trust the government, right? Uh, and then we had that huge national strike that I talked about, and that was so terrible, so terrible that brought so many losses to come to private companies in the region that the businessmen in the region said, "We got to do something. I mean, we have to invest." What, what does what does these people want to let us work? And all they said, we want jobs, we want opportunities. So it, it was like a perfect storm in which it became an opportunity for us as a city major's office to say, hey, we have a program that we only started to implement and we believe this is going to help to bring violence down and to create a more safe environment for all of us, for citizens in those neighborhoods, but also for companies to make money, to be able to do their businesses. So we were very lucky, and in 2021, we got uh, a lot of funding from private companies. And all the, uh, in, uh, I said we started with interruption, and then all the intervention programs were funded uh, uh, the first, from 2021 to 2022, mostly by private companies, because the intervention component is the one that, in which I said that we are paying half a minimum wage for 267 young people to condition to uh, being in the program. So that, of course, it costs a lot more money than interruption. And we have been, we have been able to do it with a lot of private funding. Right now, we're actually in that challenge of sustainability, right? Because, okay, so the private companies funded really hard for two years, and now they are like, okay, this is the job of the, of the, of the government. This is not my job to do this as a private company. 
We have a new national government that is talking a lot about peace and total peace. And of course, we are trying to get funding from the national government, but they're only seven months in, in charge. So they're, they're still only like doing their planning and all that. So we are right now in, in a moment of trying to, to find more funding. And that is also the, the way, the, the reason why we did that impact study last year funded by international corporations such as Open Society Foundations that is helping us, that is, that is giving us the, the evidence to say, hey, this is very cost-effective, this is working and it's cost-effective and please fund our program. But one last thing, and it's a political issue. This is very funny for me because uh, it depends on how you tell the story. This is going to like or dislike to right-wing and left-wing politics. And the funny thing is our, our new president is, is very left-wing, right? And so he's very pro-opportunity. But of course, if you, if you, if you say we're going to pay half minimum wage or a minimum wage to a criminal to get out of the gang, it brings a very big political debate around justice. Why are you giving money to a criminal instead of giving money to that guy who's working in the day, studying in the night, who's never committed a crime? So I think the wording and the way in which we sell the, the strategies have very big impacts in terms of being able to have a political uh, agreement in between parties and, and being able to fund the programs. And I wanted to say that because even though now it brings a big political debate, the left-wing president is, propo is, is proposing this, what I always tell is, hey, we were already doing that, but with the funding of private companies that whose owners are mostly right-wing and mostly conservative. So I think we can come to an agreement that is best for all if we invest in young people to try to prevent violence. And that is how we have been doing it Fantastic, thanks. Alejandro, anything else? Alejandro Cusi. Sin duda, eh, sin duda, sin duda que eh, cualquier política pública requiere recursos. Without a doubt, any public policy requires resources for implementation. And this issue of sustainability is something that we see frequently because we do have limited resources. What we've done is to bet on these projects in a certain way. These programs are costly, so we bet on international cooperation. We've been able to make the most of the resources, training, and consulting from international entities to truly try to train those who work in the justice system and in the police in order to provide the best training possible. So we've been able to make the most of international cooperation. On the other hand, when we start to look at several models, we see something similar to what has happened in Palmira. We start to see private financing come in. When we start to see these results and these possibilities, we demonstrate that these models also impact private companies and the ecosystem of a city. We see that businessmen, that organizations, also want to provide their support. So the greatest challenge here is sustainability. And 
We have to look at the financing. We have to be creative today, particularly in the case of Mexico. As you know, the position of the federal government has been to militarize or to designate all resources to the army. And we hope that they are providing exceptional support when it comes to public security. So we have these local models, which I think can be replicated easily. Morelia is a model for the national level, and we try to access resources because of a lack of federal resources. So we've been able to address this with a lot of creativity. What I would say now, not precisely from an economic point of view, but from a political point of view, similar to what the mayor of Palmira said, is that we need political leadership. We need to be able to establish these alliances. We need to have these strategic stakeholders that will allow us to continue with the projects. In the experience we've had in Morelia, these good results have led to private financing as well. I think that today, and I'll say this as a conclusion, we see the importance of international cooperation. In Mexico, we see that there are a lot of challenges. As the mayor said, we see differences between political parties. We see that they may not align when it comes to security. But in the case of Morelia, we are basically carrying out a pacific, a peaceful civil resistance. We see what's being done and we're betting against what is generally being done, which is to invest more in the military. We are working on these projects from the community point of view with police, with security forces. And this is complex. We need political will. We need to establish alliances. And we need to be an example for other places and citizens that we can get results like this. In Morelia, that is truly satisfying for us. Our model was able to consolidate itself in a moment in which we had sufficient federal, state, and city resources and we've been able to maintain our model despite the lack of resources due to a strategic alliance that we have with citizens, businessmen, and everyone that has been benefiting from the results of the program. We've also benefited from international cooperation. So despite the adverse circumstances, such as those we see in Latin America, where resources are scarce, we're able to look at the way that we are creative, the way that we establish these alliances that allow us to be sustainable through these strategic partnerships so that we have the capability and the resources to continue forward with these programs. Fantastic. And I know we're almost out of time, uh, and I don't want Oscar to miss his flight. So, um, Guillermo, do you have two minutes on resources? Then I'll go, I'll go back to Mary, and she can close us out. My comment about the resource issue is that, you know, having been around this field for a very long time, I think my profession, I'm in the social prevention and intervention side of the equation, has a higher burden of proof than other forms of, of uh, violence interruption. In other words, we have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt using a randomized treatment and control group that the programs that we are spending X amount of dollars in are effective in reducing violence. 
I think what's on the table right now, nationally in the U.S., is the discussion of is the same equal burden of proof on the law enforcement side? Um, is the evidence there that traditional law enforcement has been effective at reducing violence? One may make be able, you know, may make the case that if that was the case, the high rate of incarceration in the United States would not be what it is. So I think we really need to backtrack a little bit and take a look at the whole complex issue of public safety in terms of what works. I think some social programs are effective um, and some are not. And I think some so, some law enforcement strategies are effective and some are not, but we need to evaluate with equal rigor across the board um, because that is what's going to generate the political will. So that's one thing. Statistics don't, con don't console a grieving mother or a grieving community, but we do need to use data. And then the last point that I would like to make is that I think at this point um, there is a, um, a desire to reimagine a perception of public safety. I think that that move in the United States is very much something that I am hoping translates to the international concept, international context rather, um, because I think it's fairly clear that uh, We've made a lot of mistakes over the years in the United States that do not need to be replicated. Specific example, in the city of LA, the war on gangs was a failure. It created more gangs and it eliminated violence. This is not a comment from me. This is a comment from law enforcement chiefs of police in, in LA. So I think we need to really take a look at what is public safety, what actually hasn't worked over years, um, and how do we evaluate across the board? Um, the absolute necessity to respond to violence as it's occurring is, it correlates into whether political will is developed by a mayor or not. So if the mayor, if my programs are not reducing the number of shootings, I can't ask my mayor to politically sustain that. So th th those of us in the social prevention side, need to think about how do we interrupt that shooting, uh, which is where I started. We started the crime scene to stop the next shooting. Um, that's a way of building political will. We have some challenges ahead of us. I'm pretty hopeful of where we're at in terms of this concept of reimagining what public safety is, both at the U.S. level and internationally. Super, thanks. Mary, back to you. Well, thank you so much, Guillermo. I don't. I think that that was a wonderful summing up of of what we've learned today. I, I want to thank all of you. All of you have have developed innovative pro, uh, programs, often with very little resources. Um, in in Morelia, the Policía de Proximidad has been cited as a model, um, and um, obviously working very hard to make the use improve the relationship and the dialogue and the responsiveness of police. Um, Oscar Escobar's uh, in in Palmira, the program Pasos. Um, um, is justly recognized for being a very targeted, evidence-based approach to working with youth in a variety of ways. Um, and then, of course, on with in a in a precarious situation, um, Honduras has you and with a lot of international um, support. 
from USAID has instituted these Centros de Alcance, which are very low cost, but do make a difference in the community. I have visited some of them. Um, uh, they're just a start. They need to be evaluated, as Guillermo said, um, but they're an important start to, to, to helping those who are most vulnerable in, in these very violent communities in Honduras. So um, I want to thank you all for participating. You've brought some wonderful and uh, ideas to the table, and I guess the, the next task is what Guillermo closed with, um, rigorous evidence to show communities um, and, uh, and elected officials and uh, budgeters that these programs really work. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts. Thank you.